owning our money story, understanding those life lessons, and the value of believing in ourselves with Nelly Galan. No te lo pierdas. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Bienvenida, qué gusto de tenerte aquí conmigo. This is Jen Hemphill, your host, and we are on a roll this month as we have another powerhouse mujer with us today, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Let me share with you a little bit about Nelly Galan. She is a self-made media mogul and was dubbed the Tropical Tycoon by the New York Times Magazine. She was the first Latina president of the U.S. television network Telemundo. You know that one, right? She is also an Emmy Award winning producer, founder of the Adelante Movement, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Self Made. Nelly has also coined the saying, don't buy shoes, buy buildings, which happens to be the title of her next book. In today's episode, you're going to learn Nelly's resiliency through crisis, the power of believing in yourself, and why saving money is not enough to build wealth. It's a powerful episode. You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Nelly. What a pleasure and how thrilled I am just to have you here today, just knowing everything that you've done. Oh, my goodness. And Linda, I'm so happy to be here because I think nothing is more important for women than our money, nuestro dinero, right? And we don't talk about it enough. And it has become my life's purpose. I mean, I didn't know this was going to be my life's purpose. But I realized that all of our unique journeys through money and through immigration and through the difficult experiences and the difficult crises we've had have led us to understand the importance of being self-made and the larger meaning of self-made, which to me is in this country means someone that's kind of bootstrapped themselves and created their own destiny. But to me, it means something greater because I feel like God and my parents made me, but in order to get to the rest of my life, and I'm older than most of you, so I'm like your mom, you will have to make yourself over, over and over again, like DIYing yourself from the inside out, financially and otherwise, in order to make it to the end of your life with grace. Love it. Love it. So let's start. I love that you shared that because it is true. So it's such a powerful point of being self-made, but self-made over and over because you do have the opportunity to pivot, grow in any way. And the possibilities are just limitless. So I wanted to ask you about, let's go back in time to Nelly as como una niña. Tell us your money story. What you saw, what did you hear? What did you experience? Well, I think 
it's very apropos right now. We're in the middle of a crisis and people, including me, we get upset in the middle of a crisis. But I have been through many, many, many crises in my life. And for those of you that are young, I want you to know the one thing you can expect are many crises. There are crises in your life that are force majeure. They come to you. They're bigger than you. They have nothing to do with you, like a pandemic, like an earthquake, like a flood, a hurricane, and like leaving your country in a revolution. And then there are going to be crises that you create for yourself. I was both damned and blessed to have the first crisis of my life at five when my parents were in communist Cuba. And we were on a lottery to get out of the country. And from one day to the next, my parents said, we're packing up, we're leaving with the shirt off our back. And it wasn't even that I understood all that, but I remember feeling my parents' sadness, pain, desperation of leaving their country. We came, we were blessed that an American family took us in and were kind of our sponsors that were Presbyterian church that sponsored us, even though we were Catholic. And we went to live with this American family and we didn't speak the language. We didn't eat the food. And my parents were broke. And my parents went from my mother having really sacrificed and written rich kids papers in school to pay for her college in Cuba to being illiterate here, not speaking the language and having my mother and father having to go work in a factory 12 hours a day. And that pain is my guiding light. Because all I remember hearing is why didn't we take money out of the bank earlier? Why didn't we save money? Why didn't we invest in real estate in another country? Why didn't we believe this could happen? Why didn't we think that the bank was going to go under? All the things that I see American people For the last few years, when I tell women about self-made and I say, you know, you got to save for a crisis and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. Well, now we know. Now it's not going to be hard for me to say this to these women because we never think bad things happen to good people, but they do. Mm -hmm. And we think that we live in a country, we live in a trust brand that we think nothing can go wrong. But in fact, the banks can go under. The corporations can go under. The stock market can fail. It has happened in history. I think our weakness is we don't read enough history. History repeats itself all over again. Pandemics happen in the Bible over and over and over again. Crashes of economies happen. Revolutions happen. Coup d'etats happen. Everything we're witnessing with our president right now has happened before in history. So to not understand and be really grounded in the fact that there will be financial crises in your life. And they could happen from a car accident and you never had insurance or your health or a divorce or a death, or it could be as big as a pandemic, a revolution or an earthquake. I was lucky and damned that at five, I learned this lesson in life. So when I speak to all of you, I'm not speaking rhetoric that I don't know and have lived. I have lived these crises many, many, many times. Wow. At five, that's just incredible. And I love your point to 
how we are going to face some sort of crisis. It doesn't matter what that looks like in your point to your history, how just we do need to be aware of that history and how it definitely repeats itself. Now, I'm curious because your resume, if you will, is fabulous. And I'm curious. So you came from Cuba and you know, you grew up and eventually you got into the media and entertainment industry and you've had some big roles. I'm curious. Take a second. I think I had my next two crises happened in the seventh grade and then in the 10th grade. So in the seventh grade, imagine in the seventh grade, you're like 11 or 12. We were going through a bad economy in this country. And my parents who had been working in factories and my father by that point had gotten out of factories and was working for Goya Foods, the Hispanic food company. My mother was making dresses, wedding dresses for women out of our house so she could take care of us. They were going through a hard time financially. And my parents had really sacrificed and put me in Catholic school thinking that I was a smart girl. That was the best school for me. And I was in in Catholic school with all Jewish girls, which I think is very funny because it was the best school at that time in New Jersey. But I would overhear my parents at night saying, ¿Qué vamos a hacer? No podemos pagar por la escuela. What are we going to do? We can't pay for the school. And I was having a panic attack. Like, how do I help these people? I think the other gift of my life is that being an immigrant and being the kid of immigrants makes you empathetic to your parents. Something a lot of kids don't have. Like, you know that your parents are good people that have had to really struggle, not because of their own problems. My parents were very solid, good, buena persona, you know? And they were worrying about, like, what's going to happen if we can't pay for her school? She's going to get kicked out. And it became like an obsession of mine. Like, my fear was that I was going to get called into the head principal nun's office. He made a robot of the school. And there was an older Jewish lady. I lived in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. She sold Avon. And she would always say to me, sweetie, why don't you sell Avon? I'll give you some free makeup. You know, when you're like 12, you're starting to experiment with makeup. And I remember thinking, okay, I've got to go make money. I got to go cut a better deal with this vieja judia. And I went to see her and I was like, listen, I want to sell Avon, but I don't want free lipstick. I need money. It's got to be 50-50. And I had seen that on a TV show. And she's like, okay. And I started selling Avon to my girlfriends and their moms, you know, out of my locker. And, you know, I think that in today's world, it would be like if you started, you know, a Kickstarter, (laughs) but I was selling like door to door, you know, out of my locker. That's awesome. And in the first week I sold Avon, I made 200 bucks. And yeah, I really loved Avon products. So (laughs) it was not hard for me. And within a month I had made $800. And then I got freaked out because I thought my dad is going to try to pay the tuition and he doesn't have it. And he's not going to let me pay for this. He's just too proud. And he's not going. So I went to the head nun and I said, can you write me a letter home saying that I got a scholarship? And I would hear my mom and dad speak at night. And that's another thing. Like Latino kids are intrometidos, you know, like we listen to our parents and we know what they're saying. And when I would hear my mom say, ¿Qué vamos a hacer? No podemos pagar la escuela. And my father would go, no te preocupes que Jesús nos va a ayudar. My father was like super Catholic. So I took this letter home and I gave it to my mother. My mother couldn't read it. And she said, ¿Qué dice la carta? 
and she gives it to my father and my father reads the letter and he goes, Oh my God, your daughter is a genius and Jesus helped us after all. And I think that was the biggest life-changing moment of my life because I realized I can fix any problem that shows up. I love that. But at the same time, it was, it was a bittersweet moment because I think that's the day I stopped being a little girl. Mm. And I felt like I had to be the parent, which since then I have been the parent. Wow. And then I think the second crisis of my life after that, third crisis, if you count, in high school, in my sophomore year, same all-girl Catholic school, I had to write a paper for school for my favorite nun, who was my English teacher. And I wrote a paper about a village in Cuba and a fishing town. And she thought I had plagiarized Ernest Hemingway. And she suspended me for three days. And I went home and I was like crying to my mother. I mean, ¿Cómo puede pensar la monja esta? You know, like we're like goody two shoes. You know, Latino kids are raised like, don't rock the boat. Don't do anything wrong. Don't go against people with authority. And my mother took the side of the nun. She's like, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Just pídele perdón a la monja. Ask for forgiveness. And I think that is also very powerful because it is the mindset of an immigrant who's fearful, who thinks that somehow they're not on solid ground, that something else could go wrong, Mm -hmm. that you could get kicked out of the country or you just have to lie and take responsibility, take the blame. And imagine me growing up in post Martin Luther King in the seventies in New Jersey in an all Jewish town where My best friend's father was an editor for the New York Times. And my parents are like super wimpy, scared. And I was so angry at my mother that I took all that anger at my mother and the nun. And I wrote an article for Seventeen Magazine, which was the magazine I read at the time, about why you should never send your kid to all-girl Catholic school. And I sent it in. I went back to school three days later and the nun says, you know, I thought this was, I think she thought it that I was writing from the book, Old Man in the Sea. (laughs) I think I should have been complimented. She said, you know, I realize you didn't plagiarize. You wrote a great piece. It's very deep for a girl that's 15 years old, but you got an A, don't worry, but I'm sorry. And that's it. The whole thing blew over. Three months later, I get a $100 check in the mail from 17. And they said, we're going to publish your story. And I freak out. Oh my God. And the day the magazine came out, I went to school. All the girls in school were talking about me like, like, oh my, because it was really a funny article. I mean, maybe I was really going to be Tina Fey or something. It was very tongue in cheek, funny, making fun of the nuns, of the uniforms, everything. And my biggest fear happened. I got called to the principal's office. Mm. And she said to me, we don't like your kind here. And I had to go home to my immigrant parents and tell them that I had gotten expelled. And it was like the worst day of my life. And once again, both my parents took the side of the nun. What are you doing? And again, I got very mad at my parents. They're like, you just, we all have to go in there and you have to apologize. And I got so mad because I started like thinking and I was like, wait a minute, didn't my parents tell me that one of the reasons we're here is for First Amendment issues. 
Mm. One of the reasons we left the communist regime was for freedom of speech. And now they're telling me I can't be free of the speech and the nun is punishing me. And so I went from being like ashamed that I did it to mad. And I called the board of ed of the state of New Jersey. And I think the second most powerful moment of my life is that an African-American man answered the phone. And I said, can this nun expel me? Because I wrote an article. And he said, young lady, she can, because you're in a private school. And in private schools, it's like being an at-will employee. They can expel you for any reason. Mm. He said, but you don't have to take it. I can get you an interview with the local newspaper and you should tell them your story. And I felt that for the first time in my childhood, I found a parent figure that believed in me Mm -hmm. and that made me feel like I had power over the situation. And so when he said, I'm going to have you talk to a reporter, and I think I am very impulsive this way, I just went, okay. And I did the interview like I'm doing with you. And the next day it came out in the paper, Cuban girl gets expelled for First Amendment issue. And let me just tell you, all hell broke loose. I can imagine with that, with the headline. So imagine that was before social media. So imagine today, I often think it would have been like a Malala moment, right? So I get called, the nun calls us and says, I want your whole family in here right away. I could only, Latinas listening, you can only imagine my parents screaming at me in the car in Spanish the entire way. ¿Para qué tú te pones a hacer esto? ¿Por qué ahora tenemos que hablar inglés? ¿Pasar una pena? ¿Pedir perdón? You know, horrible. But what happened is we got there and the nun was really in a good mood. And she was, I never said you were expelled. I just said we didn't like your actions. I realized immediately she didn't want bad press. And she said to me, in fact, I looked at your grades. You're really a smart girl. You're in all AP classes. You're really far advanced. We've decided to graduate you a year and a half early. And my mother goes, I get rid of My mother, it went right over her head that she was getting rid of me. And we went home and my parents thought it was a win. Like, they didn't really get the nuances of the politics of the whole thing. Right. I got home, and we had a voice machine, and I had a message from Seventeen Magazine. In fact, just to tell you how crazy this is, so Seventeen Magazine said to me, we are so proud of you that you spoke up for yourself. And they were thrilled that they got the publicity that they were in the middle of the escándalo. (laughs) So I learned a lot of lessons here, like, the power of the media, the power of speaking up for yourself, that people see you as a leader. They gave me the youngest guest editorship in the history of the magazine that they usually give to one college senior a year. They gave it to me in high school. Before we continue, I have a quick message for you. Her Dinero Matters is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. 
From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account to refinancing household debt to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. One of the ladies that hired me heard me speak two weeks ago and tracked me down. And I'm talking to her this afternoon. Wow. One of the editors of Seventeen Magazine. And I went to work at Seventeen. I kept writing articles for them. Because of that, I got into early admissions at Columbia. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. On scholarship. I did 17 magazine while I was doing the first year early admissions at Columbia. And then a TV show came up that was like the teenage version of 60 Minutes that was going to be on PBS. The producer was the only Latina producer in the entire country at the time, Aida Barrera. And she called me. She goes, I've never seen a Latina in the credits of 17. We're looking for people that look like teenagers that could be reporters for the show. They thought I was much older, but writing for 17 magazine, they didn't realize I was the age. of. And she said, we want to hire you and you have to move to Austin, Texas in two weeks. And when I told my parents, my parents go, usted no se va de aquí. Tú tienes 17 años. At that point I was 17. And I go, si ustedes no me dejan ir, I'm escaping. And I woke up in the middle of the night to leave and my mother and father crying, bawling. No, you are, tú eres egoísta, eres egoísta. And I go, you guys don't get it. I'm going. And I left. And my mother to this day, because I wrote about this in my book, Self Made, she read my book and she said, I am so sorry that I said that. You were my therapist. You were my friend. You were everything. And now, you know, karma's a bitch because when my kid left, I thought I was going to die to college. But she said, what would have happened to us if you had not left that day? I drove myself cross country to Austin, Texas. And I began as a teenage reporter on the teenage version of 60 Minutes. And that's the beginning of everything that I would have never, if I had not gotten expelled from that school, I would have never remotely thought to be a reporter, a writer, anything in television, nothing. Wow. That is so incredible for you trusting yourself, being confident enough in yourself and your voice and advocating for yourself all. And even though it was a risk you took, well, at that time, maybe you thought it was a risk, but you just stuck to your guns. I did think it was a risk and I was scared. I'm not going to lie to you, but I saw my parents so trapped. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important for Latinas to hear this because we often make decisions about our parents or about our families, or about our husbands, or about our children, and we're not helping the family. Right. I think I saw my parents so trapped in the post-traumatic stress syndrome of having left their country, and I knew that it was their fear, not my fear. 
Right. And that even if I felt fear, that it was something I was carrying for them. And that's why I say to women, if you do not make fear and failure your best friend, you're not going to make it because fear shows up for all of us every day. And if to win two or three times in your life, you have to fail thousands of times and you have to keep getting back on the horse. Somehow I knew that. Somehow I knew that my parents got here and instead of continuing to fight, they were dying a little bit every day in their fear. Right. That's powerful. So you got to the media and entertainment industry through all these different happenings that where you really stood up, right, and took a risk. So tell me a little bit about once you were in, because you, like I said before, you've had some pretty big roles. I'm so curious to hear about your experience when it came to pay and negotiating those conversations. What lessons did you learn? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? First of all, I have to say to women, nothing has happened to me quickly. I always say I'm a turtle. I am slow and steady and I learn my lessons, but the turtle wins the race. You have to remember that. And life is a long distance run. So I think that I've had a lot of horrible, difficult crises, lessons. I'm a very optimistic person and I do believe in myself. And I also think in your pain is your brand. I wrote this in my book. Everything that happens to you, I believe happens to you for a reason. You know, like if I had not been the kid of immigrants, you know, I've made a lot of money making a lot of TV shows about that pain. And I believe that your pain is your profit. When you're given difficult lessons, whatever they are, you're supposed to figure out how to turn it into a business because you're serving a unique customer that you understand because you've been through it. So... For me, I think, just to be very clear, I have not had a grandiose career. It sounds grandiose now because I've run a TV network and I've had my own businesses and I've sold my businesses and I've made millions of dollars, but it didn't happen in a grandiose way. It happened slowly. I want everyone to hear that I've been an intern at Seventeen Magazine. I've been an assistant. I've worked my way up step by step, which I think is the best way to do it because then you really are feel grounded in that you know how to do it. Like I always say to my son, tomorrow there could be a world war. I have to go to Russia, learn Russian and start all over again. And I'll have a business in a year because now I know how to do it. I want you all to know that as glamorous as all of that trajectory sounds, I have worked like a dog and I still do. And so I went from 17 magazine to this TV show The TV show ended and then I got recruited by CBS in Boston and I was like a trainee network news reporter slash producer. And that sounds glamorous too, but it was not. My job was to go around the country and do a lot of interviews every day that would get sent to the network and then Diane Sawyer looked like she had done the interview. Like I didn't come out on camera. I was the behind the scenes person doing the work. And I did that from the time I was 19 to 22. So for four years, I did that. And I thought I was on the road to being a network correspondent. And in my mind, I was going to go be Diane Sawyer. (laughs) And I came to California. They were doing a special on John F. Kennedy. And I was supposed to interview every friend John Kennedy had. And one of them was this big TV producer named Norman Lear. 
and he had produced a lot of TV shows. And I met him and he goes, you know, you're a very interesting girl. Are you Jewish? What are you? I had like a Jewish accent from New Jersey. And I said, I'm Latina. And he said, oh my God, my partner and I just bought the first Spanish TV station in the country, in New Jersey. And I was living in Boston at the time. And I get a call from their office and they said, they would like to meet you in New York. So I went to meet them in New York and they're like, we think you should come and work for us. It's like a rinky dinky little station, but you know, it's like three people. But you could come and you could be the station manager. You, I mean, think of a college station. I mean, no bigger than what we're doing Zoom on, right? And I said to them, you guys, no offense, but that kind of grosses me out. I don't want to do anything in Spanish, anything Latino. I was like grossed out. I wanted to be a network correspondent for CBS. And one of them, Jerry Parencio, may he rest in peace because he died last year, says to me, young lady, I'm rich. Are you rich? And I said, no. And he goes, you're Latina and you speak Spanish and you don't know that the Latino market is going to be a multi-billion dollar business. He's like, if you don't even know what you're doing and you come to work for us, you're going to be rich. We're starting a company from scratch. I mean, just so everybody gets it. Think about if somebody said to you, do you want to be employee one of Google? And you're like, what the hell is Google? Well, nobody knew what Telemundo and Univision were going to be, right? So it wasn't Telemundo or Univision. It was Channel 47 in Newark, New Jersey. Dump. Coming from CBS in Boston. So I said to them, but I'm going to be a network correspondent. And they're like, ah, you're a factory worker. Don't you want to learn to run your own business? That's what really matters. Wow. And I always say that if I had been my own son today, would I have taken the job or would I have stayed with the more glamorous job? But I made the number one greatest decision of my life, which is I thought my parents are broke. I'm broke. I'm going to bet on these two rich men that seem smarter than me to me. And I took the job running that station. So I was employee one, just so you guys get the trajectory. I'm going to simplify the story because it's too long. So employee one worked her way up. A lot of things happened. Other people bought the station. I came, I went, whatever. And I ended up being the first Latina and the first woman to ever run a network in this country and run the network where I was employee one. That is amazing. Yeah. And by the way, and I left for a bit in the middle of all that. And I started another business. You know, I have gone from being inside a corporation and I highly recommend it. And I've been in everything from a small business and then later many corporations and then running my own businesses. Very difficult politics, very big disappointments, very big glass ceilings, very big issues. But I hung in there. And I ran a company, I sold the company, and then I became Latina Tyler Perry. I produced 700 TV shows. And then in 2008, I've had many crises since then, earthquakes, floods, 9-11, all where my business went down, all where I've had to recover, all where I had to start all over again. Mm -hmm. What have I learned? That you have to save money. Now, when this crisis shows up, when 2008 showed up, I had taken my money and that boss that I had that hired me way back when he said, young lady, when you make money, in order to make it in this country, you have to make money while you sleep. And I'm like, what? 
And what he meant was the money you make and the money you save is not going to take you to the end of your life. Mm. You have to save two years of salary. Keep one year for a catastrophe because otherwise a catastrophe can break you. And then the other year you start investing your money. I started at 31. I had $5,000 saved. I bought real estate because immigrants like real estate. Mm -hmm. I bought a little building. I flipped it. I used all the tax laws to never pay tax and keep flipping the money forward. And by the time I was 45, I had 16 buildings and I could retire. Not from my television career, from my real estate investments. And I'm not J-Lo and I'm not Beyonce and I'm not an athlete. I followed two parallel tracks. Mission, which was my TV career, that made me some money. But some years it made me no money. And money, because money has to come first. You have to take care of business and be grounded and make money while you're following your dream. It can't be your dream alone. Sometimes dreams work. Sometimes they don't. When I was 45 years old and when we had the 2008 crash and my business went down because I was selling a million shows and all of a sudden nobody was buying shows, I could retire. And instead of retiring, because I'm never going to retire, I decided that the one regret of my life, because my son was eight years old and he really didn't like school. And he said, mom, why do I have to go to college? You never finished college and you've done really well. And I thought, I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school with my own money and I got myself a master's and doctorate in clinical psychology and wrote this book, Self-Made, and changed my whole life, again, pivoted, right, and started a platform for multicultural women around empowerment and entrepreneurship because I had grown to a whole other level. So I hope you're all hearing from someone older and wiser than you, because now I'm 56. You look fantastic, by the way, because you said I'm old. I'm like, I was, what I'm seeing, you do not look old. You look beautiful. Thank you. But I, I'm glad I'm 56 because I can tell you all that you can be young and be self made and be a millionaire. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That means you can give college to yourself and your kids that you can give, I mean, I can be philanthropic, which most of us don't have the privilege to do because we're saving our families, right? You know, I'm on the board of Hispanic Scholarship Fund and I give a lot to education and I help a lot of women in entrepreneurship. I could never have done what I've done with Adelante and Self-Made if I didn't have money. So nothing is more important than money, nothing. And not in a bad way, not like, Money makes you happy. No, money doesn't make you happy, but money saves your life. Money talks. And it gives you choices, mm -hmm. choices that right now, I mean, I'm, I've devoted myself during this pandemic to helping women get the PPP loans. Mm -hmm. And I hear women every day crying. I have no money. I don't have money to make it to the end of the week. I go, well, you have to forgive yourself, but you must never, ever let this happen again. Right. Because many crises are coming. Many. And I want you to get to the crisis and instead of being broken, enter it like I'm entering it with grace and have money put away so that you can actually make money in a pandemic, make money in a crisis because real estate prices will go down, stock will go down and it's a time to buy, mm -hmm. to buy, to invest more, to make more money, but not if you're living hand to mouth. Right. 
There's so much good stuff here, Nelly. Increíble, increíble. I mean, I, I would love to absolutely talk more, but we're running out of time and so many lessons here. Cause I was like, what other financialists as well? I think there's plenty, plenty in here. So I just want to applaud you and I want to thank you for being an example in our community to look towards and, and really for what you're doing with the Adelante movement, because it's not just the Adelante movement, it's self-made, which you mentioned is multi-serves, multicultural women, and, and not just multicultural, you have different subgroups of women in there, which I love. So thank you for what you're doing and the example that you're setting, because we need to see more of us, the more that we see of us and can relate to our stories I think that's a powerful thing. So thank you so much, Nelly. This has been absolutely fantastic. I just want women to hear, especially Latinas, that we are the number one emerging market in the world, which means we're the number one customer. So for us to think small and leave ourselves small and not think big and think to yourself, I can be a millionaire. You have to visualize it. You have to visualize a big life for yourself in order to achieve it. And I want you guys to think about making a collage. Like right now I'm making a collage in this pandemic of what I want to look like when I'm 85. How much money do I want to have? Where do I want to leave the money that I'm going to leave when I die? I'm thinking like that. I'm thinking like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, not like a little Latina immigrant. And what do I want to look like? And where do I want to live? And how do I want to spend my money? Well, what trips do I want to go on? We have to visualize things in order to concretely make them happen. Love it. There you go. There's another lesson in there. This has been fantastic. Anneli, seriously, you are just an amazing person. And thank you so much. I have so much to say, but I'm just at a loss because you're just amazing. I think the big thing we can leave with is Adelante. And I, the reason I call mm-hmm. my movement Adelante is because it's I say it with power. Adelante. Don't sit on your butt. Life is short, girls. I blinked and I'm 56 years old. It's short. Do not waste one day. One day. Get up. If you're afraid, do it anyway. And if you fail, get back on the horse. Que pensaste? I think Nellie's stories were so inspirational from her challenges, from her happy times, everything that transpired across her life. And if you think about it, even though we don't have the same exact money stories as her, I think we have the same common goal, the same thing that we're trying to reach. We are trying to reach that financial peace, the wealth, everything that brings us this calm and tranquility in our financial life. She really talks about building wealth, which Hey, definitely agree with. And that's something that we have to strive for because it is doable. Even though some of us think, uh, that'll never be me. I'll never be able to save enough. Yes, you definitely can. And I think knowing from where she came from, knowing what she has overcome throughout her life to where she is, like that was not an overnight success story, right? That took time. That took a lot of ups and downs that she picked herself back up. And I hope that you took a lot away from this conversation with Nelly. So if you did, 
connect with her over at becomingselfmade.com. I will have that link in today's show notes. Also, don't forget that in this journey of becoming better with our money and in this journey of really becoming and feeling more abundant with our money and really seeing that there are more possibilities for us and our money, make sure that you download, that you go and grab the Daily Dinero Ritual, which is available for you for free at jenhemphill.com forward slash dinero. This tool is really going to help you reflect and really understand yourself better and see what things that you can improve and how to improve them because it's like journaling. It allows you to gain that clarity. And again, you can grab the Daily Dinero Ritual over at jenhempill.com forward slash dinero. Following these powerful women that have been on the podcast so far this month, next week, hold on to your seats, hold on to wherever you're standing. If you're walking, hold on to the first thing of the tree or whatever it is that you're nearest because next week I'm bringing another great mujer to share her story and lessons with us. Get ready to listen to an amazing interview and conversation with Soledad O'Brien. You heard it right. And if you don't know who she is, where have you been? Look her up and come back and listen to this next week's episode. Eso es todo. Te agradezco mucho, pero mucho por estar aquí conmigo. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 249. Remember, being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. That is it. And I believe in you. I am cheering you on. So you should believe in yourself too. If you love this podcast or love this particular episode, I would absolutely love it if you share it with someone you care about or take a screenshot or a selfie, tag us on your Instagram stories with at her dinero matters with the one thing that you loved about the conversation of this specific episode. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.